right, I want to jump back. Three weeks ago, we, uh, we were flying through all the way up to Noah, and I'm not going to go through all of this stuff right here. And then last week, we talked about Tower of Babel. So I'm just going to walk us through where we're at, and then we'll go through the story. So we've got all of Adam's genealogy all the way down to Noah. just want to highlight, Adam almost overlaps with Noah, so he overlaps with Noah's dad. Okay? And then you've got Noah in the next genealogy, right? 502, he has Shem. 600, you've got the flood. All the way down, he overlaps Abram. So Abram was 58 years old when Noah dies. Okay? Just to have a, a visual for us of kind of this time period. You see Peleg up there means division. That's uh, the best guess is that's Tower of Babel, dividing of languages was during that time, just so you have a frame of reference. Then you've got Shem, and we're going to talk about Shem because this is the line of Jesus. And Shem, um, you've got how old he was with all those, and he goes all the way down to, uh, let me see, uh, when Jacob is 50. All right? A lot of times we don't really think about how much there's an overlap of all of these generations because in our lifetime, if you see your grandchildren or your great-grandchildren, that's pretty special. Here you've got like 11 generations down, which is it's a fascinating thought that when we're talking about the Tower of Babel, most, most of these relatives on, on the right side, I know you can't read all the names, but you see how it goes vertical there? That yellow one is Noah. Most of them overlap Tower of Babel time period, which is kind of a fascinating thought that you've got multiple generations that lived through it one way or another. Um, okay, so... I want to jump into Genesis 8, okay? At the very end of Genesis 8, we're going to mostly be in Genesis 9. I'm just going to read through the whole thing with a, a few side thoughts. Okay, so 8.24. As long as the earth endures, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night will never cease. This is God saying this to Noah, okay? And this is kind of cool because before the flood, we don't have the rain. We have the springs from underneath that are feeding it. And so after this flood, this is hey, we've got a now water cycle, okay? Things are changing. You've got seasons. Before then, there were seasons, but it was all by the stars, if you look at Genesis 1. All right, Genesis 9. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. We heard that before? Yeah, so we've heard that before. So we hear this again, okay? Be fruitful, um, which is fascinating. John was talking last week about Tower of Babel. Instead of being fruitful and, and multiplying, going to the face of the earth, like, they said, actually, we're going to come together and we're going to build this thing. We're going to acquire a name for ourselves, right? Um, with fear and dread, you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and on all the birds in the sky and on every creature that moves along the ground and all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will be your food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything, all right, and so this section, we kind of follow the creation story again with all the birds and the, all, the, all the things, right? And in there, um, it's also this idea of, of them having dominion over the animals, the beasts, etc. Uh, verse 4, but you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from every human being too. I'll demand an accounting for the life of another human being, which throws us back to Cain and Abel's story. All right? Um, Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. 
For in the image of God has God made mankind. All right, so we are made in his image. And so there's, there's an account there, right? Seven, as for you, be fruitful and increase in number. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. So here we hear that again. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and your descendants after you. And with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, and all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the flood or waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And I love the fact that this covenant is not just with humans. It's also with every living creature, right? Uh, and God said, this is the sign of the covenant I'm making between you. And then he tells them like 14 times in a row that it's a rainbow, okay? Um, we're going to keep going. 18, all right. The sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. When he drank some of his wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered inside his tent. Ham, the father of Canaan, saw his father naked and told his two brothers outside. But Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it across their shoulders. Then they walked backwards and they covered their father's naked body. Their faces were turned uh, the other way so that they would not see their father's nakedness. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest of slaves uh, will be to his brothers. He also said, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Shem. May Canaan be the slave of Shem. May God extend Japheth's territory. May Japheth live in the tents of Shem. And may Canaan be the slave of Japheth. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years. Noah had lived 950 years, and then he died. Um, there's a lot of stuff in this chapter. There's a lot of crazy stuff in there. Like, how many of you are like, man, that's kind of uncomfortable with some of the things that this says. Like, well, let me start with that. Is anybody uncomfortable with anything that's said in there? Are we all good? Pretty straightforward. Can I just move on? All right. All right, we're done for this week. I'm just kidding. There's, there's some fascinating things in here, you know, and I, I, I want to go through some of it, but what I want to start off with is, Who's, who's the oldest son? Isn't that a weird question? Now, I want to pause for a second, and I want to say, who's the oldest son, and what exactly did Ham do to deserve to be cursed for all generations, right? Um, those are really, really good questions. The cool thing is, if you're like, I don't know exactly, but I've got some ideas, the good news is you're in good company. Rabbis, for thousands of years, have been arguing about these very things, okay? So I'm going to walk through some of what they think. I'm not going to get to a place where I'm going to tell you this is exactly what it is. I'm going to tell you probably where I, I stand on it, but I want to show you a few of the things that as they've dug in the Scripture and where they dug to find where they're at, okay? So first of all, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. A lot of times if there's a genealogy, they'll say the oldest son first, yeah? We, we agree on that? There's these times where they don't necessarily do the oldest son first, but they'll do the one that is in the line, the descendant line that is most important or the most important to a story, all right? And so you've got after Noah was 500 years old, he became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now, if you were just looking at this at like the very surface level, 
we say, oh, they're triplets, which I made that mistake when I was randomly doing the genealogies weeks ago, right, with uh, Abram, because Abram, we'll get to there in a second, but Abram is not a triplet. So they're, they're not triplets, even though it's like, well, obviously 500 years old, he has these three kids. How do you have three kids? 500. Well, this is 500 is when he started having kids. But so you have that clue, right? Then you have Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came on the earth, which means that the kids are approximately how old? Let's do math. 100. We nailed it. Okay, sweet. All right, let's look at some more verses. All right, so the sons of Noah who came out of the ark were Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the whole earth. Why do we have this Ham is the father of Canaan thing in here? Isn't that kind of weird? It's like, oh, by the way, uh, here's the sons of Noah. But you know what? Also, um, one of the sons, his fourth son is actually Canaan, just so we have this straight, right? Um, Kind of weird, right? So you have this in there. But it's like, no, no, clearly, though, these are the sons of Noah, and these are the sons of Noah. But in here, it's this, like, side thought. When Noah awoke from his wine and found out what his youngest son had done to him, he said, cursed be Canaan. Not a weird thought. Okay, so why is he not cursing Ham? And if we think that Ham is the youngest, right, then why is it Shem, Ham, and Japheth? Isn't that weird? Is that weird to any of you guys? It's weird, right? There you go. I'll say it. It's weird. Um, okay, so there's some clues in there that we've got to work through here in just a minute. Okay, so cursed be Canaan. All right, and this is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood, Genesis 10, 1. 1 Chronicles 1, 1. Adam, Seth, Enosh, Kenan, Mahalalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, Noah, the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So there's a lot of things that would be really clear that Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, in some order. Okay? Now let's look at some more verses. This is the account of Shem's family line. This is Genesis 11.10. Two years after the flood, when Shem was 100 years old, he became the father of Arphaxad. Okay, so... How old was Noah when he started having sons? 500, which means that he was, all right, so 502 when Shem was born. How many people can do enough math to realize that 500 to 502 would be a really long pregnancy? Hopefully all of us, right? So chances are, in my opinion, mathematically, Shem is probably not the firstborn son, is what I think, okay? Now, Again, if we have Shem first, he was probably in the line of Jesus. So that's why he gets put to the front of the line. Okay? Um, why exactly Japheth gets kicked backwards, I don't know. Right? Um, in Genesis 9, 21, it's like, oh, this clears it all up. Sons were also born to Shem, whose older brother was Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber. Now, the reason why I put that up there is, one, it seems like, oh, Benny, you just nailed it. Japheth is the oldest because it says right there in English, right? His older brother, Japheth. However, I just want to say that there's a lot of Hebrew rabbis that actually argue this back and forth between who of the three is the oldest because this in Hebrew can mean two things. And more often in Hebrew, it talks about uh, Shem, not necessarily Shem, but like it will say the name, 
and it says elder, and then the other name, the, the, who was the elder would actually talk about the first person, not the second person. So there's other places in genealogies where actually it seems actually flipped in Hebrew, right? So there is some confusion with the rabbis of, wait, is this saying that he is the elder of Japheth, or Japheth is the elder? I think mathematically with the other clues that we have, I would personally say Japheth was the oldest, then Sham, and then Ham. Because we have Ham, the youngest, is getting cursed, right? We saw that later, right? Although it's technically his fourth son, Canaan, which is still a little bit confusing for some people, right? Okay, good. Now that we got all that clear, I just want to send a, a Google picture. Stole this off the internet. Um, this is kind of... Uh, not perfect, but this kind of gives you a little bit of a visual of where a lot of geographically where they think Shem, Ham, and Japheth um, would have been. And I love the fact that it all intersects basically in Israel, right? But Japheth, he expands. His name even means to expand. And so the idea is that he expands into Asia and on. And one of the really cool things about that verse, if you caught it, is the blessing over Japheth is that he's going to expand, but he's going to be in the tents of Shem. And that is such a beautiful promise, such a beautiful blessing in my mind. Because really you've got the Israelite line that's going to be going through Shem, right? So you're going to have the promised people going through Shem. And here, even here, God's saying, hey, you know what? Even though they're going to be Gentiles, they're going to be in the tents, which goes all the way back to the Holy of Holies. And hey, even they're going to be invited. Even though they're expanding, they're bigger, they're going to still be welcomed into the smaller tent of Shem. Like, this gives us hope, even from the start, as Gentiles. Like, most of us in here are not Jewish-born, right? And so I look at that verse, and I'm like, oh, man, we can pass over that, but there's such beauty in us saying, whew, Japheth is going to be invited into Shem. Okay? All right. I want to stop and pause for a second. We have in, we talked a little bit about in the garden, the first garden, right, with Adam and Eve, you have different Hebrew words for arom uh, would be the physical nakedness. They were, they were naked and they felt no shame. That word in Hebrew is arom, right? And then after they ate from that crafty snake, and the crafty for snake was arom, they ended up having arom. So arom to arom, arom, which in Hebrew, it's like this word play. Um, in English, it's just confusing. But basically, they start off with physical nakedness, felt no shame. They ate of the fruit and there was a spiritual nakedness where there was something that happened on the inside where they were exposed and they tried to cover their physical nakedness, hoping it would cover their spiritual nakedness. It didn't do it, but they tried, right? Um, and then I want to talk about in this passage, it has a completely different word when saw, saw his nakedness. It's Irva, okay? And here's some of the passages of Irva, okay? Because, actually, I'll get there in a second. When we look at this, if you just read it and you're flying through the Bible, you're going to say, okay, so Ham went into Noah's tent, saw that he was naked. And then when Noah woke up, knew what happened, and he cursed Canaan, his grandson, right? And so there's this like weird series of events the other thing that we do as Westerners, as Americans, we, we read through the story and we're like, we feel like this is all instantaneous. So let's um, go back to here for a second. Sons of Noah came out of the ark, 
Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Ham was the father of Canaan. These were the three sons of Noah, and from them came the people who were scattered over the earth. Noah, a man of the soil, proceeded to plant a vineyard. Then when he drank some of its wine, he became drunk and lay uncovered in his tent. Let me pause. We just flew through like three verses in here, and he went from getting out of the ark, planting a vineyard, and being drunk in his tent. Um, this takes some time, right? So I used to, when I you know, was reading through it as, as, when I was younger, I would think like, oh, this was pretty happy. Like he, he was probably grieving the fact that like everything was annihilated, and so obviously he got himself drunk as he's working through it. This is not like day one. This is not like he got out of the ark and immediately was drunk. Because even when you're planting vineyards, like it takes years. But on top of it, when you start looking at the genealogies, Canaan is the fourth son. Arphaxad was, was born two years after. But like we don't know how many years were between each of the sons that were born from each of those three. So you have these four that are, are, are born, uh, presumably, right? At least multiple kids. So this is years later. This is not day one. We hopped out of the ark and immediately this happened, right? And so you have Noah who becomes a man of the soil. He plants his vineyard. He gets drunk and he uncovers himself in his tent, right? He's naked in his tent, which I guess if you're going to pick a place to be naked, that seems like the appropriate place to be, right? I mean, I don't know, right? And so he gets naked in his tent, he's drunk. Um, Ham, the father of uh, Canaan, saw, uh, saw his father naked. And then he told his brothers. And like the, the Sunday school version we have is like, you know, don't dishonor your father and your mother. And like they were mocking the parents' nakedness. And like it's a lot more depth than that, right? There's a lot more that happened than just I saw the nakedness of it, okay? All right, all the way over. So... Irva, that nakedness there, there. If you were looking in uh, Leviticus 18, 7 and 8, you shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. And then it keeps going, and it repeats itself a bunch of times with all the different ways that you don't uncover somebody's nakedness. This is an idiom for relationships, right? I'll just say it like that because we got kids still. Um, does that make sense? So this is, this is like, okay, don't, don't sleep with each other. You're all related. Stop it. Um, Leviticus 20.11, if a man lies with his father's wife, he has uncovered his father's nakedness. Both of them shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. Deuteronomy 27.20, cursed be anyone who lies with his father's wife because he has uncovered his father's nakedness. And all the people shall say amen. There's other verses in there too. But basically when you look at Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it's really clear, like, don't do this thing. And every time that they use this uncovering nakedness, it's, it's a sexual act that's happening. There's a perversion that happens. Um, and so there's a lot of rabbis that look at this and say, oh, oh, this is what was actually happening with Noah and the situation in the tent. All right? And so they look at a couple ways of, wait, did... Was there a sodomy? Was there rape? Was there, did he sleep with his mother? Like, there was a lot of things that they try to evaluate, and different rabbis had different perspectives on it, right? Because when you start looking at it, you have this guy named Noah that is righteous and blameless for 600 years that God's like, I'm wiping everything out. But this guy, this guy is blameless. And then, like, 
he immediately goes off the handle and is like, I'm going to make slavery a thing with this people group for all of these generations. And we're like, don't love that, right? And you're like, man, just because he saw you naked? It's like, well, it's not necessarily just physically seeing naked. So there's a lot of the rabbis say, hey, there's actually this perversion that happened. And they're not quite sure, hey, did they sleep with them? In which case, there's a fascinating thing. If you look back at Genesis 9, it says, when he awoke from his wine, which is, it's when he understood what was going on. It wasn't just a, when he woke up from his sleep. It's like when he was sober and sober-minded. And again, we don't necessarily know. Was this an immediate thing? Was this day one? Was there something that happened where he's like, I know what had happened to me. And how did he know that it was his youngest son right away? Right? And why did he still go and curse Canaan out of the whole thing? Right? There's still all of these questions that are going on. But some of these rabbis say, hey, this was what happened. Some say Canaan was actually the child of those two, of, uh, of him going and, and doing that thing. Right? In which case, we see that later on in the Bible where you have like Absalom that's trying to take over as king. He's like, you know what? I'm going to go and sleep with one of David's wives and I'm going to assume the kingship. I'm going to, I'm going to take the, the patriarchy to myself. If we're starting over, I'm going to be the dude that's going to take the top. Right? Might have been that. In which case, when she becomes pregnant, he would know something's up, figure something out, and then curses that child. I don't know. Again, these are things that the rabbis wrestle with, and it's messy. It's really messy, right? Um, there's, there's another situation that happens where there's a lot of rabbis that actually think it's a matter of castration. And you're like, whoa, Benny, you're going to go there? Yeah, I think I've got to, because that's where the rabbis go with it, right? And the idea is that he went in there and basically said, you know what, I'm going to stop. Make, like, we're going to split this thing three ways. You know, because God tells Adam and Eve, go be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, right? It talks about how they had many sons and daughters afterward. God tells Noah and his kids to do the same. And it's almost this concept of like, hey, if we can cut off that line, then we can share the spoils of this line. Does that make sense? Um, I don't know. But what I find fascinating is when I started looking at what those rabbis were talking about, we get into some of this. So we have one, the first option of just physically saw dad. Two, it's sleeping with mom. Three, it's uh, went into his father's tent, castrated, sodomized, something along those lines, in which case Noah cursed Canaan. And I think one of the interesting things is, um, actually, we'll get there in one second. Creation stories. Um, just want to highlight that God created... And it seems like when he created again after Noah, he followed some of that same path. Three weeks ago, I showed you some of those things as far as like even like the steps of, you know, the light and the darkness and when Noah opens up the window in, in the thing, right? And sending out the, the birds and like the animals and the dry land. And so it's like there's all these steps of creation that happen there and again, but here's this side of the story that happens again. So you have Adam who's made from the soil Noah, it says, Noah, a man of the soil. You've got God who puts him in a garden. You've got Noah who plants a garden, right? You've got God who tells him to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. God who tells him to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth. God gives dominion to people over all the beasts, the animals, the birds. God gives dominion to people, the animals, the beasts, the birds. God, uh, sorry, 
Um, Adam and Eve tasted the fruit, and then bad things happened. Noah tasted of his fruit, and then bad things happened. You have the serpent who exposes Adam and Eve's nakedness, and then you have Ham that exposes Noah's nakedness. You've got God who covers Adam and Eve's nakedness, and this really cool thing where Shem and Japheth, they go and they cover their, their father's nakedness, right? Then you have God who pronounced a curse, and here's, here's where the story falls apart at some levels. Noah then pronounces a curse. He steps into the God role, and he curses himself. He, he's the one. He's like, I've got dominion. I've got authority. I'm going to curse. Um, and we have a mess when that stuff happens. All right? Adam and Eve, um, seeing and taking the fruit from the tree, and the question of Ham seeing and taking the fruit of the family tree. And the word to see is not just see, but it's, a, it's like a see and take. It's a desire. It's a something that there's a taking. So like Eve, when she saw and took of the tree, of, of the, whatever the fruit was, it's kind of that same concept of I didn't just physically see it, but there's a seeing and a taking of something that happened. All right? The Bible specifically tells us that Adam and Eve had other sons and daughters as they fulfill the call to multiply and start filling the earth with children. And the Bible specifically tells us multiple times that Noah had three sons, that there's no mention of him ever having any more sons and daughters after this event. And the weird side of the story of being four rivers, you guys remember where it's like all this creation stuff, and it's like, oh, and then there's four rivers. This river, da 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 da, da and it's got good gold and Havilah. And this one goes right through the level of Cush, and da 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 da, da. and the third one. And it's like, and then there's a fourth river. Okay, moving back on to the creation story, right? So some, and we've talked about patterns and chiasms that, that these Hebrew writers, they put things in and put things in, and they're like, we're going to put this thing in here to explain something else. Me, personally, I think that this is what's part of that, is... I'm trying to explain some of it. So let me get where I'm going with that. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. All right? And again, in First Chronicles, very clearly, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. My guess is Canaan was probably his fourth son. All right? Um, there's debate over that too. But I believe that it's the fourth son. And the fascinating thing is how many sons does Noah have? Three sons, right? So he's got three sons. And what they say, some of these rabbis say, is just like we in America, we talk about family trees, right? And you have these big branches that then branch into more, that branch into more. Every generation is another branch. Sometimes some cultures will use trees to explain a family lineage. But some of these cultures, they would also use rivers because you'd have like the Mississippi that splits off and then splits off and splits off and splits off. And the, the stronger the line, the stronger the river. Does that make sense? And so um, some of the rabbis, what they, what they argue is what happened is there was this desire that there was supposed to be a fourth one, and, and, and there was a stopping of the fourth one with this act, that it cut off what was intended to be. Isn't that kind of a crazy thought? Again, I don't know, but part of why they say that is because a lot of times you have this eye for an eye kind of thing of like, okay, if you're going to kill me, then by blood you're going to be killed, right? So there's this thing. And so that's where they're like, that's why Canaan was cursed is because he was the fourth one, which would have, like, you took away my ability to have four. You took away my fourth. The equal right is that I actually take away your fourth. And in some weird 
kind of crazy way. It's almost like instead of killing Canaan, we're going to make him a slave to his brothers. Now, I'm not condoning slavery. I'm not saying this is great, right? Um, In fact, I think that we need to pause for a second and realize that there's a lot of millennium where this verse, this, hey, you're going to be cursed, you're going to be a slave to your brothers over and over again, like has been used as justification, even in our country, for slavery that's happened, right? There's been a times where it's like, well, they're not fully in the line. They were designed to be slaves. Like, here's the biblical backing. Because it's in the Bible, it's okay for us to do that. And I'm not saying that's okay, right? And I think that there's, there's a heritage that I know um, a number of, of people with African descent especially. Because when we look at, at this map, wherever it's at, a lot of ham ends up going into Africa, right? And so there's this assumption that this is tied to some of that slavery stuff, right? And I know that there's people that are African, African-American that struggle with like, man, this Bible thing is great, but like I, I fit into this slave group and I'm not as equal. And that's not, it's not true. It's not true. Like there is stuff that's a mess, right? But I want to highlight that it was not God that's cursing them. It's not God that's saying you're going to be slaves, it's Noah. Noah is the one that brings that in. Like, and I want to highlight, man, there's a lot of brokenness in Noah's family, right? Whether it's a castration event, whether it's a sleeping with a mom event, whether it's whatever it is, after 600 years of seeing the earth with all the depravity, to start on the other side and have this go down and then live through generation after generation of building the Tower of Babel, like the amount of grief the amount of wisdom, the amount of hurt, the amount of sadness that they had to have gone through would have been incredible, right? And it's not to justify any of that stuff. It's just, man, there's brokenness, brokenness, brokenness. Even if you think about Adam and Eve, right? The amount of brokenness that they went through. Sometimes we don't think of these people as humans. We think of them as characters. But man, to go from the garden, to be kicked out of the garden, to like wrestle through all the thoughts that you're going through, to watch your firstborn son kill your secondborn son, that's got to be tough. To see, because he lived almost all the way up to Noah, so he saw the world getting all the depravity from their decision, from them doing the first domino. That's got to be pretty tough. Right? God, God desires... God desires that we have reconciliation. God desires restoration. And here we have a chance where we can start off with reconciliation. We can start off with forgiveness. We can start off with restoration. Instead, Noah uses his words to to curse instead of to bless. And I just want to highlight, we as humans, God has given some dominion. He's given some authority here on earth. And our words have more weight than I think we think they have. Right? Your words to bless, your words to curse. With your family, with your friends, with your coworkers, Like, they carry a ramification. And it can be multiplied out for generations. Or, where we can be the ones that stop that cycle. We can stop the cycle of vengeance back and forth. Right? But it's hard. Noah's family had some serious brokenness. First step to restore the brokenness is forgiveness. 
Forgiveness is the key to stopping the cycle of vengeance. I want to highlight, forgiveness doesn't mean that you're saying what had happened was okay. It's not verifying, hey, it's okay that that thing that was terrible happened to us. That's not what I'm saying. But there, forgiveness is the thing that will free you from your prison, but also will be the thing that stops the cycle being another generation, another generation. Your words have power. Blessings and curses hold away and get multiplied through generations. And God invites us to bring our brokenness and mess to him. Because he's the only one that can heal it and restore it. All right. I am going to pray. We're going to go into a time of worship. And then we'll have some uh, open time to just hang out with each other afterwards and meal downstairs. Heavenly Father, I am, I am, I am humbled by the fact that generation after generation after generation, from Adam to us, there's just brokenness after brokenness after brokenness. But God, give me eyes to see and give this group of people eyes to see that it's not just a cycle of sin. It's not just a cycle of brokenness. It's a cycle of your response. It's a cycle of your redemption. It's a cycle of you pursuing us time and time again. It's a cycle of you forgiving. It's a cycle of you loving. It's a cycle of of you wanting restoration for us, wanting health for us. Heavenly Father, may we be able to receive your peace and your unity and your love. May we have the courage uh, to break the cycles in our life, to break the cycles in the generations that have come before us so they don't get passed after us. May you give us the courage to walk out of our prisons by forgiving those that have hurt us, that have wronged us, that have wronged our parents. God, there's a lot of pain. There's a lot of mess. Um, I'm thankful that you used Adam and Eve even though they had brokenness. I'm thankful that you used Noah even though he had brokenness. Thank you that you used Moses, that he, he had brokenness. God, there's, there's a bunch of broken people and somehow you use broken people to minister to broken people. I just ask that you would give us hearts that are, are willing to be honest with ourselves and honest with you, with our brokenness, and that we have the courage to let you be our healer, that you would be the one that would actually uh, touch our lives, that we would be vulnerable, that we would uh, be naked before you without shame. So God, anything that's bringing shame, anything that's bringing guilt, anything that brings anger, anything that's bringing fear in our lives, God, I, I ask that you give us the courage to let us be exposed be exposed to it so that you can deal with it and we can move on from it. God, we desire to know your faithfulness. God, we desire to be more faithful like you. God, I just ask that you would bring healing. It's in Jesus' name, amen.